nor, you know, a lot, oftentimes people ask me, uh, especially the ones I, I disciple, they, they open, often ask me, uh, you know, how do you know a person if, uh, if the person is saved? What's, you know, what, what is the criteria? Or how do I know if the person is really a, a believer in Christ? You know, there's many answers to that. But one possible answer or test to this question, how do I know if the person is saved, is really the person's attitude towards sin. You know, how does a person uh, feel towards his own sin or sin in general? I've shared this a few times with you, but uh, let me just, again, go through this because this leads us to our message today. Um, you know, I learned this from my pastor a long time ago in, back in college, that it is really the difference between a, a pig, a baboy, <laughs> and, and a cat. You know, the attitude of a pig towards mud, towards, you know, lapok uh, um, in our Visayan language, or what is, what is mud in Tagalog? Putik. <laughs> Oh, that's the name of our hometown. <laughs> the name of our hometown back in Zamboanga, it's Putik. <laughs> so it's the attitude of the pig towards Putik or towards mud and the cat's attitude towards mud, the difference, you know. You know, um, Rel and I, we, ha we have an acquaintance who owns a pet pig. And she cared for her since she was a, a, a piglet, you know, uh, give her baths, a perf perfume maybe, I don't know, ribbons. And, and this pig stayed indoors uh, early on. That was a few years ago. And so I, I went to that house uh, just recently, maybe a few months ago. Then I was on the way to the house, uh, driving along the road. It was a very nice subdivision. And it's a strange thing when you see a pig on the road, right? Here in, in the Philippines, it's okay. <laughs> but here you see a big pig on the road, like, okay, what's going on here? But there was a pig on the side of the road. It was rummaging through trash. Like, you know, big, 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 huge. And of course, I arrived, arrived at the house. And I realized when I was there, it was the same pig I remember when it was still a piglet. So that was, oh, that was the same pig. But this time, it was not a piglet anymore. And... And, and you notice, I noticed that, you know, even though when this pig is being cared for, you train it to be a good pig, you know, uh, take a bath, put perfume, give it a nice bed. But if you release it outdoor, it's going to go back to mud. It's, it's going it's to go back to garbage, right? You cannot really stop a pig from doing that because that's the nature of a pig. It loves mud. You know, unbelievers, they don't have the Spirit of God. And for them, that sin is like that mud to a pig. Even if unbelievers tries to, you know, try to behave in a good way, but when given the opportunity, there's really no, no restraint towards sin. There's really the longing and the desire to sin, and it's, it's, it's going to consume them. It consumes them. It becomes their, their first nature to wallow, to enjoy sin. In fact, people without the, without the Spirit of God, people who, who, are, who are without Christ, most of the time they don't really know that what they're doing is sin. And their life is... It's like that pig. It just enjoys it. This is not to degrade unbelievers, okay? But just to think of the nature of the pig who loves mud, it's how 
people without Christ love sin. They just rummage through sin without any care or concern, whether it's they don't feel guilty. You know, I, I know some people, even, even Christians, you know, living together, we know it's, it's sinful because you're living outside of marriage and you're living together and, you know, committing sins that are against the will of God. But for many who are without Christ, for them it's okay. No guilt. But a believer cannot live like that. Because a believer, you have the Spirit of God. You have now the desires to do what is right, what is holy in God's sight. Because you have the Spirit of God. Imagine God is in you through the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for a believer not to feel guilty when it comes to sin. And it's like the cat, right? The cat, when if cat falls to mud or, or some madumihan ng cat or whatever, ang pusa, what will the cat do? It will try to run away from that or jump and go, you know, go somewhere that's dry and clean and it will start, <laughs> you know, licking himself, cleaning himself or herself. That is the heart of a believer. You know, our sinfulness, our weaknesses, maybe we struggle with sin, maybe there are bad habits in our life, or maybe there are sins that you were not aware of, or you were curious like a cat, you know, curiosity makes the cat dirty. I know that's not the saying. But, but like the cat, sometimes the cat falls into mud or gets dirty. But it's not the nature for the cat to stay in that mud like the pig, right? doesn't like it. Eventually, it will, you know, the cat will lick the, the bad things or the sinful things, dirty things in, his, in, his, in her body. And, and for us Christians, that is the confession of sins, right? And when we fall into sin, God has given us a way out. We are to confess our sins and we don't want to feel guilty at any moment in our life. It is not natural for a Christian to stay guilty for a long time. You have to deal with that. You have to confess that. Get away from that. Just like the cat licking off the mud in his uh, fur, fur, her fur. The title of my message today, um, let's go directly to the title, Josh. Um, Citizens of God's Kingdom, based on Revelation and Revelation 14. I'm going to do something today where... Sort of go back, go back again to, revela- to uh, the things we learned in Revelation, then, then focus on Revelation verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1 to 4, 1 to 5. But what I mentioned to you really characterizes the nature of those who belong to the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. There's really a difference in terms of how we look at sin, Right? How we, how we deal with sin. And, and when I talk to people who, who don't, we, I know that they're living in sin, but they don't feel guilty about the kinds of sin they're doing. What's the next question in my mind? If, if they say that they are a Christian, but they are not feeling guilty about how they live their life of sin, the next question I always have is, is this really a believer of God? Right? Because... Again, you have the Spirit of God. How can you continue in that? So Revelation 14 to 19, we're back in our study of Revelation. It it really reveals God's vengeance, judgment against all wickedness and sin. 
But what's different between this time, Revelation 14 to 19, we're moving now beyond the middle part of Revelation. What's different from the prior judgment is that, judgments, is that this time judgments include the spiritual realm, meaning you, you will now find that Satan and his, his fallen angels are going to be judged by God as well. It's not just, are not just the human beings on earth. Satan himself will be judged. In Romans uh, 12, 19, God tells us that, that this is, it, it, this has, it tells us that vengeance is mine, set the Lord, and this is God's day of vengeance against sin. This is what we find in the, during the tribulation. But I want to show you a few things first in relation to our study of Revelation. Then we're going to go, towards the end, we're going to go to uh, Revelation 14. Verse 1 to 5. So one of the things we, we learn from Revelation is that Revelation reveals man's unrestrained wickedness. Man's unrestrained wickedness. Meaning the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness, there is unrestrained wickedness. Wickedness. You know, uh, in, in, in first, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, we are told that the Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness. Or the son of destruction. The man of lawlessness. Now, this person, we've been talking about him when we studied the dragon's resume. And we know more about him now, hopefully, as believers. He is described as the man of lawlessness. Which means that this person is really the embodiment, the portrait of someone who is unrestrained when it comes to sin? Walang walang pigil ba? Walang walang preno preno when it comes to sin. He will just go ahead and commit sin. And this is the portrait of a person. By the way, this is a human being. The Antichrist is a human being. Is a person. If a person without Christ is unrestrained, without in his sinfulness, this is that guy. This is that guy. You know, there is good in the world today because God is still restraining people. He's still restraining even unbelievers. This is the grace of God. There is some kind of, of, of hedge that God is doing in this world. That's why we as a church, we can still meet. Because if God will remove all kinds of restraint when it comes to sin, we will not be able to do this at all. That those people in those apartments and these people here beside us will come barging in and will, they will kill us. I, I'm not judging anyone there, but this is what sin is. This is what sin leads if it's unrestrained. It's, very, it's a very scary situation. But we praise God that during this time in history, God is still restraining sin. Even Satan, he's still restrained by God. But time will come when that restraint will be removed. In fact, during the time of the tribulation, even demons from the bottomless pit will be released. Think about that. And people are just going to continue to live in sin, even worse sins. Today, we see these things happening around the world. But during this time, it's going to get worse. And one of the things that you'll also, also find when it comes to the system that Satan implements in this world, 
he tries to paint a picture, even the future world system, you know, the, the empire that the Antichrist will lead. He, he will try to paint a system where, a picture where, you know, things seem to be acceptable and good. Uh, what we do is good and acceptable. What he will do, what Satan will do in the world seems, seems good to people. They would, he would open up and say there is really no such thing as, a, as good as bad people or good or bad people. People are by nature good. You hear this all the time. Bad people are merely a product of their environment, of bringing. Maybe they were abused as a child. That is why they became bad people. You know, that's what the enemy will try to sell to us. That there's really no such a thing as bad people. Everyone is good. But God makes this clear to us. That we will give an account before God. Each of us will give an account before God. Which means every person in this world will be held accountable for what he has done in this life before God will be held accountable. Which means you cannot actually tell God, Lord, God, I've done bad things because my parents didn't raise me correctly. You cannot say that to God. You, you will be accountable for your own sin. You cannot tell before God that I grew up in a bad environment, I grew up in a bad home, or, or I wasn't trained as a child. You cannot say any of those things before God because you will be held responsible for everything that you've done. Personally. And this is what the world tries to sell us. That, that, that there's really no bad people. It's just because, you know, they were exposed to bad things. But it's not them. It's different in, the, in God's economy, in God's perspective. Jeremiah said his words in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Imagine this is God accusing you. Accusing me. Al, your heart, Al, is desperately wicked, Al. This is what God is telling me. This is what God is telling you. This is what God is telling every human being in the world. That your heart is desperately, meaning hopelessly, wicked. No one can figure out how wicked the human heart is. It's something that, it's like a bottomless pit that you cannot really understand. Why is the heart of man so, so evil? And there's a reason why we need to accept this. There's a very important reason why we have to accept this. Until mankind, until you accept, recognize and you are in despair of how wicked your heart is until you become aware that you are an enemy of God until you realize that you are hope you're a hopeless sinner deserving the fires of hell you are not ready for heaven you are not if you're not willing to accept this you don't deserve heaven you're not ready for heaven I, I don't usually show these things. I got this from Facebook, of course. <laughs> I don't usually show this, but I, I, I got this from some other pastor. In fact, it was my, uh, my cousin. And 
it really tells us what Christianity is. You know, people think that Christianity is like this. This is what Satan wants you to think. But this is what Christianity actually is. Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners through repentance. Let's move on. Revelation also reveals another thing. It reveals what is true and what is false. You know, the end-time religion that the Antichrist is going to establish, it's going to be a counterfeit, a fake form of Christianity. And how do I know it's a kind of Christianity that it's not going to be any other religion? How do I know? Because their leader is going to be the Antichrist. Makes sense, right? If, if the leader is going to be a fake Christ, his religion is going to be a fake form of Christianity. It doesn't take, it's not even a speculation, it just makes sense, right? That's what it's going to lead to. And this false religion the Antichrist will, will present to the world, it will look good and acceptable to everyone in the world. That's why there will be a lot of followers. Many will be deceived. Many will follow this false religion. Even your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, your, you know, people around your neighborhood, they will, they will, they will probably subscribe, follow, to this, follow this false religion. Because we know clearly from Scripture that wide is the road that leads to hell. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, to heaven. Therefore, there will be majority of the world will follow this, will listen to this religion. One of the biggest lies of Satan that has been perpetuated throughout the history of the world is the idea that you can be a good person according to your own terms and be accepted by God. This is one of the lies of Satan, that you can be a good person according to your own terms and be accepted by God. People say this, I, when I share the gospel with some people, they would say, I'm a good person. I didn't hurt anyone by what, by what I do. When the person says those words, when I share the gospel, most likely I will just walk away. Eventually. I will try, but eventually I'll walk away. I'm a religious person. I go to church. I'm a good. Because that person is not ready for the gospel. It's not ready for the gospel. You know, every religion in the world sells this same product. This is the same product you hear from every religion. Be a good person. Be faithful to this religion. Do what is good and you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Obey the Ten Commandments. Do the sacraments. And you're going to go to, not heaven, purgatory maybe. Merong uh, uh, waiting area. But the thing is, this is a lie. This is not acceptable to God. You know, they all often say, obey the Ten Commandments. But you know, yes, we are to obey the Ten Commandments. But the purpose of the commandment, commandments is not really to make you a good person. Right? I hope you understand that. It doesn't make you a righteous person. In fact, some people might think the Ten Commandments is like a checklist. Like, okay, I've done all these things. Lord, check, 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 check. I didn't commit a lot. Uh, bear false witness. I didn't covet my neighbor's car. I'm very faithful to my wife. I didn't murder anyone. You know, check, 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 check. God, accept me in heaven. I will check the hot Lord. 
Did you know that the purpose of the ten, what's the purpose of the law, the Ten Commandments? This is what Paul said. I'm going to use NIV because I like what Paul said in the, uh, how the NIV translate this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God in the sight, uh, God's sight by the works of the law. He's saying no one can be a good person, no one can be made righteous in the sight of God by the, by the works of the law. But so what is the purpose of the law if it doesn't make you righteous? Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The purpose of the Ten Commandments and those, the laws of God is just to make you conscious of sin. The purpose of the law, we talked about this in our life group last time, purpose of the law is to accuse you of your own sinfulness. It's to tell you that you are a sinful person. The law is an accuser. That you are sinful. That you cannot meet God's standard. And, but this is what God wants us wants to This is his desire. That when you realize your own sinfulness, so in your despair and hopelessness, when the gospel is presented to you, is made known to you, you, be, you appreciate the beauty of the gospel. When you recognize your own sinfulness, when the gospel is presented to you, you begin to understand the purpose of the gospel. You begin to recognize your need for it. You recognize the grace of God. That, that's really the beauty of, of accepting Jeremiah, just, Jer, the, Jeremiah 17, 19, we just read earlier, and the recognition of the purpose of the law. When we recognize these things, the gospel becomes more attractive. It becomes more glorious in your sight. It becomes more desirable in your sight. Jesus becomes more desirable to you. That's why a lot of people to say they just accept Jesus, but you know that they're not saved. It's because they don't recognize their own sinfulness and they don't recognize their need for Christ. For them, Jesus is just another trinket. It's just another decoration they're going to put in their house. Oh, I have Jesus. I'm going to add this to my collection. Clay forwarded me this. I'm going to mention Clay because <laughs> we were texting about this. And I, Clay, I'm just going to share plagiarism, but this is not yours. <laughs> this is Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> but this is what Clay sent me. And I'm just going to share this because this exactly sets what, uh, tells us what I'm sharing to you today. The law is for the self-righteous to humble them, to humble their pride. The gospel is for the lost to remove their despair. If you are not lost, what do you want with a Savior? You understand? Should a shepherd go after those who never went astray? Medicine is for the disease. Pardon is for the guilty. Liberation is for those who are bound. Opening of eyes are for those who are blind. But if you're not going to accept that you're blind, if you're not going to accept that you're bound, if you're not going to accept that you're guilty, What's, you, what's the use of medicine? What's the use of opening your eyes if you don't really accept that you're blind? Right? Next thing. Revelation reveals the need to take sides. You have to take sides. There has to be a good side and bad side. You know, this world is, is, is really broken because... Everything is just grayed out in this world. The world is trying to gray out everything that you cannot tell which is the good side, which is the bad side. And the kids right now, they don't know. I'm sorry, kids, but there's a lot of things you need to still learn. You might think you know, but it takes a lot of years and experience 
to understand things with wisdom. That's why God says gray hair, yeah, right? You know the story there. <laughs> but it doesn't mean I have lots of wisdom than you. It's just, I, have, I just have gray hair. <laughs> you have to take sides. There, there is no such a thing as bipartisanship in God's system. There is no compromise between two parties. I know in, 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 the, in our government, the two parties try to figure out compromises. You know, there must be a law that we can work together. It doesn't work in God's kingdom. There's no compromise between Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. One kingdom is 100% wrong and the other kingdom is 100% right. One kingdom is 100% evil and the other kingdom is 100% good. One kingdom is darkness. One kingdom is light. Is there compromise between kingdom of darkness and light? No. Darkness and light is very different. Is there a compromise between evil and good? God is 100% good. He doesn't compromise with evil. That's why we need to take sides. And this is what Revelation reveals, that we are to take sides. But this is what the world does today. And this is why I know that what we're having today is sort of not too different during the time of tribulation. Because the world is trying to paint a gray picture. In pretty much every issue, everything in this world. God says, there's only one way to me. It is only through my own son, Jesus Christ, the way to life. But you know what the world says? There are many ways to God. You can pick and choose. It confuses people, right? And those, these ideas will lead people to hell because they think that they have many options. But there's not. There's only one option. Either you choose God to choose Christ or choose Everything else. If you choose everything else, then you're, you're lost forever. The world says, or the Christian, Christianity says, Jesus is the truth. And there's only one truth, and that is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. But the world says, truth is relative. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. There is, that's, not, that's not truth anymore. <laughs> that's just opinion. God says, I created all things, but the world tries to give you many ideas on how things came into being. Well, what's amazing is that your textbooks, kids, they're going to change next year. They're going to change 10 years from now. You know, science tells 13 billion years, age of the universe. I can tell you, 50 years from now, it's going to be 50 billion. <laughs> it's going to change. But what's amazing is God's word has never changed. It's been around since the beginning, almost since the beginning of time. And it's the same today. If you read the accounts of the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found the book of Isaiah 300, around 300 years before Christ, a copy of Isaiah. It's complete. Exactly the same as our Isaiah today. Except for you know, periods and spaces, commas maybe, but content exactly the same. God has been protecting his word, same yesterday, today, and forever. During the tribulation, this taking sides is going to be very clear during the tribulation because this is what's going to happen. They're going to be open about whom they're going to support. Those who will support the beast will take a mark. 
It's called the mark of the beast. And they're going to open up to the world that I am a follower of, this, of the Antichrist. They're going to take sides. People who will follow Satan and the Antichrist will take the mark. While people who will follow Christ will also take the mark of the Holy Spirit. We talk about the 144,000, which we'll get in shortly. People will take sides. Jesus is against people who does not take sides. Did you know that? Kung ikaw gusto mo lang sa gitna ka lang, ayaw ko punta dito, ayaw ko dito, dito lang talaga sa gitna lang ako. I don't want to really go there or here. Pambako, ano to? Ano ba yung... The Bible calls them lukewarm Christian. You know, you, you have to, for instance, if you're watching a football game, you have to take, pick one team, right? You cannot just pick both and say, uh, this is winning. Oh, this is winning now. I'm going to take this side. <laughs> but God is, Christ is against that. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. He said, would, would that you were either cold or hot? Christ wants us to be either cold or hot. He doesn't want us to be, to be lukewarm. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Christ is against those who are lukewarm. You have to take sides. Are you for God or are you against God? And this is a constant message in Scripture. Constant message. Even, in the, uh, the, the, even Christ, His coming clearly tells us that there are two kingdoms and you have to take side. You know what Jesus did for us? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So what happened to you is God brought you out of the kingdom of darkness into kingdom of light. And I'm going to ask you to do something today in relation to this last verse before we head to the last point, which I have 15 minutes more, hopefully. Now, therefore, this is what Joshua said to the Israelites when they were about to enter the promised land. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him sincerely and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers. Your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's, it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers serve in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. This is the challenge for you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There is a statement here very important. It says choose whom you're going to serve, whom you're going to follow, whom you're going to worship, whom you're going to obey, whom you're going to pledge your allegiance. You want to you pledge your allegiance to the all kinds of gods, all kinds of other religion? Okay, go for it. But for me, Joshua is saying here, I will serve the Lord. I choose the Lord. Serve the Lord. The world will give you a lot, of, a lot of options. The kingdom of darkness will give you many options and will try to make things gray. But in God's sight, it's just black and white. Either you are in the kingdom of light or kingdom of darkness. Choose the kingdom of light. Choose the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's my challenge to you before we end, I go to the last point. I'm going to ask you the same challenge here. Whom are you going to serve? The God of Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or other gods? If you choose to serve Christ, I want you to stand up. Stand with me. And, and clear in your heart, Lord, if that's the desire of your heart, I want you to stand. If that's your desire of your heart, I'm not, if you not, don't, don't stand. Just stay seated because I'm not going to force you. And let's come to the Lord and make that declaration before God and tell him, Lord, today, Lord, I choose to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you. I choose to follow your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and pledge my allegiance to him as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you. Sit down. You may sit down. Last pass the passage we have, Carlo read today. Let's just let me just read this quickly, and then we'll go through the, some lessons from here. Then we'll end the message. Then I looked, behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, with him hundred forty-four thousand who had his name under under his father's, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of Loud thunder, the voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing their harps. And, and they were singing a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, before the elders. No one can learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they, were, they, they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. This has been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God. And the lamb, and their mouth, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. They are morally pure and blameless. You know, when I started reading Revelation 14, I got, I, I got a bit confused because how does Revelation 14 fit into this narrative of Revelation? We, when we were studying Revelation 12, 13, there seems to be a chronological order, uh, even prior to Revelation 12. But somehow Revelation 14 stuck out and said, how does this fit to the whole account? You know, in Revelation 13, 12 and 13, we learn about the Antichrist, learn about the dragon, which was Satan. But what we find out is that Jesus gave a spotlight for a short time upon, upon Satan and his work because it's like his, Jesus is like a, a commander, a military commander, you know, showing us what the enemy is and what the enemy is doing. You know, we are at war and it's important for us to know the enemy and how we're going to deal with him. So that's what Jesus did. This is what he did in Revelation 12 and 13. Sort of the spotlight went to, was on Satan and his army and his, and his work. But now in Revelation 14, the spotlight is back at Jesus Christ and God the Father. And what? I found out is that Revelation 14, of course, it's still part of this interlude. You know, remember we were talking about the, the seven 
trumpet judgment. Then in Revelation 16, there's going to be seven trumpet judgment, which we're going to lo- look at later. But this, this Revelation 12, 13, 14, and even 15, it's like a pause. And God is giving us more information about the enemy. Now he's giving us more information about what he's doing in his world. But, but what's interesting is Revelation 14 is like a preview of what's going to happen later on. It's a preview of Revelation of 16, 17, 18, and towards the end of Revelation. So it's like, you know, movies, stories do this all the time. You know, in movies, you got flashbacks and you got previews, right? They usually, in movies, they have flashbacks where they give a background of the character so that you'll know, okay, we were watching a, a series recently and every part of the show, I think it was forever, right? <laughs> forever. It was the guy who was immortal and he lived, he's 200 years old. But it was always going to the flashback on how he became that way in the past. So there's always flashbacks. You know, movies, stories do this. But also in, in movies and stories, they also have previews where they will tell you, okay, this is what's going to happen on the next episode. We're going to give you a snippet. And then, so that's why what, uh, people would like to, to get people excited, right? And, and, this is what God is doing here, what Jesus is doing here. He's giving us a preview of what's going to happen in the later chapters in Revelation 14. And this is what we find in Revelation 14, verse 1 to 5. It talks about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And the second, it talks about Jesus coming on earth uh, to reign. Uh, Revelation 14, 6 to 7, which we're going to cover next week, talks about the gospel being proclaimed during the tribulation period. Revelation 14, 8 talks about the Antichrist. And his world empire will be judged by God. Revelation 14, 9 to 10. This is all in Revelation 14. And we'll also talk about those who's, who will get the mark of the beast, who will, who will have the mark, will also be judged by God. And lastly, Revelation 12 to 14. 14, verse 12 to 14, talks about faithful, the, 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 the blessing that a faithful will receive later on. Um, in God's eternal kingdom. And so, this 144,000 uh, uh, evangelists, Jewish evangelists, um, I hope you agree with me on this, because there are cults today, they believe that they are this. <laughs> you know, there are a few cults that believe that they are 144,000, but the problem is their members are more than 144,000 already, so how do you deal with that? I'm not safe anymore because I'm 144,001. <laughs> so, this 144,000 evangelists is chosen by God and they're Jews. 12,000 from each tribe. So you cannot really, it's hard to misinterpret this. I don't know where these cults get their idea. But this is what we know from scripture. That these are Jews and these are chosen by God and they're evangelists. And, and, but here's what I want to say in relation to this. Let me help me. I'll try to my best to go through this quickly. You know, as believers, there's always this image of triumph and victory. When we read scripture, we are, we are always uh, portrayed as triumphant. Let me just go to the title. Josh, can you go to the last title, Josh? I'm, I'm lost to the last title. We're always portrayed as triumphant. So last point is that this 144,000 are the ideal citizens of God's kingdom. 
So we're always portrayed as triumphant. Let me just give you a few verses. Uh, Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors in Christ. 1 John 5.4, we are overcomers of the world. In Corinthians, we have victory through Lord Jesus Christ. In Timothy, uh, we are called um, to, let me just read this from Paul. He said, we have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who long his appearing. So you notice that in just a few verses, you can tell that there's always this victorious, overcoming nature of the Christian life. Very exciting, right? Very, 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 very positive. But however, in, the real, in reality, we are beset with this, with this situation uh, in Romans 7, 18 to 19. You know, Paul's struggle here. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right. You know, we want to do what is good. We do want to do what is right, but we end up doing what is wrong. But not the ability to carry out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This is a struggle. Even, the Christian, even though the Bible tells us that Christian life is victorious, but how come? We are going through this struggle. And we understand this because we are still in sin. We, are still, we still have the sinful nature. I'm not saying that, that uh, we're, we're, we're going to go to hell because of the sin. God, Christ already paid for that sin. But we still live with a sinful nature. Just consider the people in the Bible. Uh, I know you can identify with some of, the, some of them. Um, David. Man after God's own heart committed adultery, murdered a guy. I hope none of you can connect with that. Uh, have you ever murdered someone? Abraham, a friend of God, he lied about his wife. Peter, leader of the disciples, close to Jesus, denied Jesus two, three times. Paul, most powerful Christian, wrote um, pretty much almost all the letters in the New Testament, he was given a disease to keep him from becoming conceited. Para hindi siya maging conceited. Elijah, a powerful prophet of God, but he was overcome with fear and depression. He wanted to die. Lord, patayin mo na lang ako, Lord. <laughs> Remember that? He was struggling. But what's amazing for us Christians, even though we struggle with sin like them, God has given us a provision, 1 John 1.9, that even when we fall into sin, just like that cat falling to sin, as I said earlier, confess that sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But what's unique about the 144,000 here is that they're unlike anyone in history. Because this 144,000 uh, Jewish followers... They have the mark of God the Father and Jesus on their forehead. They will survive the tribulation. They will stand with Christ on Mount Zion. This is the earthly Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Uh, and when Christ takes his throne, they will be there. They will probably be there during the Millennium Kingdom as well. They will worship with angelic hosts, with four living creatures and the elders in heaven, and they understand their songs. So these are very new, unique people. These are human beings, by the way. These are not glorified yet. Unlike us, later on we'll be glorified. But these are human beings. 
with the normal human bodies, not glorified because they were kept alive during the tribulation. So these are normal human beings, but they were morally pure, men of integrity. They will not succumb to the world of sin. The world during the time is very sinful, but they will not fall into sin. They will be completely faithful and obedient to Christ. The passage tells us that they went, they went, they, they follow Jesus wherever Jesus go. That's the meaning of that statement there. They were completely obedient. As Christians, our com the command of Christ for us is to walk a holy and blameless life. Amen? God is holy. God is perfect. God is blameless. We ought to be like Him also in the way we live our life. That is our desire. That is our longing every day that we will walk a holy and blameless life. That's why we need to take an inventory of our life each day. Lord, have I walked perfectly according to your will? Have I completely obeyed you? This is where we want to be. Who this, this 144,000 is really the ideal citizens of God's kingdom. And this is where we want to be. And I praise God that we will get there when God gives us the glorified body and when our sinful nature is gone. We will get to that point, right? Holy in our thinking, holy in the way we live our life, holy in our, in our actions, in our motives. But in this life, we are beset with the reality of the sinful nature, according to Romans 7. But again, we are given 1 John 1, 9. <laughs> we are to confess Whenever we fall into sin. So, in closing, brothers and sisters, let us live as kingdom of light each day. It's a daily choice that we need to make as, as sons and daughters of the kingdom of light, as citizens of the kingdom of light. And if there's any sin in our life, make every effort to, you know, turn away from the sin overcome that sin and if there's any guilt in your heart confess those to the Lord God's desire for us is to be used by him in every way used by the Lord to the fullest but if we regard sin in our heart it becomes a hindrance for God's work in your life Let's just consider this 144,000 Jewish evangelists. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's a something that we cannot attain, obviously, in this life because of our sinful nature. But this is our model. Jesus is our model. They are also examples for us. Let's bow down our heads in prayer as we close. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the things we find in your book, Lord, in the book of Revelation especially, Lord. Indeed, Lord, a hard message you've given to us, Lord. But, Lord, the struggle we have in this life is also not easy, Lord God. The battle that we face each day, oh God, is not easy, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that as your people, oh God, oh God, oh God, grant us the strength, oh God. Be as you, as what you promised, as what you declared 
in your word of who we are, Lord, to be overcomers, oh God, to be victorious, Lord, to, that we are given victory to Jesus Christ, that we overcome the world, we overcome sin, that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Lord, help us be this kind of person, oh God. Lord, I, I, con I confess my own weakness, Lord. I confess my own sins, oh God. Sins of my heart, of my thoughts, of my flesh. The things that I fail to do. And the things that I'm supposed to do that I have not done, Lord. Forgive me as well for those sins, Lord. And I pray that all of us, Lord, will also recognize our own sinfulness, Lord, with a humble heart. Humbling ourselves before you, Lord. Because, Lord, in this humility, Lord, when we are humble, Lord, I, that's where your grace comes, Lord. For you give grace to the humble, Lord. But you reject the proud, Lord. So, Lord, if there's anyone here who's very prideful, Lord, you know their hearts. Break that heart, Lord. Break that heart to pieces, O oh God. Whatever it takes, O oh God. If there's anyone here who has a prideful heart, I'm going to ask you, Lord, to break their heart to pieces. That they will come before you in humility, Lord, kneeling before your throne, surrendering their life to you, Lord. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, their salvation, their commitment to you, their purpose purpose that you have for them is far more greater than any of the comforts that they will experience, far more greater than their good health, far more greater than their jobs, far more greater than their family, Lord, far more greater than anything. And so, Lord, whatever it takes, oh God, whatever hinders them from surrendering to you, whatever hinders them from fully committing their life to you, break that heart, Lord. Break the heart to pieces until it is empty. And, and ready to receive you, Lord Jesus. Ready to accept you in humility, Jesus. <clears throat> and if there's any pride in us, <clears throat> even pride in me, Lord God, <laughs> break my heart, Lord. But Lord, I also pray that you do it in your grace and mercy, Lord. Do it in your love. In such a way, Lord, that we can be able to gracefully handle, Lord God, a struggle that we're going to face, Lord. Lord, I pray that we as Church River Life, Lord, commit ourselves not only to serve you, to worship and honor you, but we'll commit to you, live a holy life that is pleasing before you in every way, O oh God. The Lord, we will turn away from sin, starting with me, Lord, and everyone else in this church, our leaders, Lord, even our kids, oh God, our youth, oh God, that will commit themselves to live a life that is holy and pleasing. We want to experience the fullness of your grace, oh God, of your power. I pray that nothing will hinder us, oh God. And if this is your desire, I want you to stand. If this is your desire and you are making a commitment, take that bold step before God, Lord, to live a life that is holy and pleasing before you. Stand before God. Tell him 
boldly, Lord, I commit myself to live a holy, pleasing life before you, honoring you in every way, following you in everything that you command me to do. Just like the 144,000 Lord, evangelists, thank you, Lord, for those who are standing today. Lord, honor their decision, Lord God. Be gracious to them. Pour out your Spirit upon them, Lord. Pour out your Spirit upon us, O God, that we will be able to live up to this commitment, Lord, starting today, O God, in Jesus' name. That, Lord, when we all walk out this room, O God, Lord, we will have that renewed strength that comes from your Spirit, the grace that comes from your Spirit, that we will commit ourselves to prayer, we'll commit ourselves to your Word, we'll commit ourselves to encourage our brothers and sisters to fellowship. And, Lord, we desire that your light will so shine brightly through us, Lord, that light is not diminished but shining in its foolish, Lord, that, Lord, our friends, our family, Lord, our neighbors, oh God, even the people within our household, oh God, our own daughters, sons, our parents, will see your glory, Lord, in the way we speak. We'll see your glory in our smile. see the glory in how we care for them. We'll see the glory in the words, your glory in the words we say, Lord. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us to be just like you. Help us to be a mirror of your heart, Lord Jesus. A reflection of who you are, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord. We need your grace, Lord God. Where we keep on failing and failing, oh God, if we, we rely on our own strength and ability, we, we fail, oh God. Lord, we need you, Lord. We need your grace and power to overcome the sins that, that has uh, enslaved us for many, many years to overcome habits, O oh God, that dishonor you, to overcome fear, O oh God, and shame, O oh God, that we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us overcome that shame, O oh God, and fill us with courage, same courage that you reminded Joshua of, O oh God. And those who stand here have took the stand also of serving you, O oh Lord. So Lord, reveal to their heart the purpose they have in this church, the purpose they have in the body of Christ, because each one here, Lord, you, you have ordained before the foundation of the world to fulfill good works, purpose in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that each one, Lord, here will fulfill that purpose, O oh God. will find your place in the body and will fulfill it with all joy, excitement, commitment, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for us. It's a ransom for all of us. Paid ransom for our sins. May the grace of God be upon us, upon all, upon this church, upon those who are listening online as well. And his blessing be with us till we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.